On a good day, I can tippy toe to maybe five foot eight. Do I want to be a little bit taller? Do I want to be a baller? Who wouldn't? And now for a hefty price tag and a fair amount of pain, I can go to a Las Vegas doctor whose limb lengthening procedure has been adapted from a pathological fix to a cosmetic elective, making a splash around the world from GQ magazine to the BBC. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I self-restrain from making too many puns as we get the long and short of leg implants from orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Kevin Debbie Parshad. It's Wednesday, September 28, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Dr. Debbie Parshad, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. I read about you in GQ magazine, which is sort of an auspicious start. But before we get to the procedure that is starting to get you somewhat famous, I'm really interested in your on your journey to Las Vegas and, and how you wound up here. So how long have you been in Las Vegas and what was the pathway to get here? Um, so I've been here now six, I think going on seven years, I want to say. Um, so it's actually been some time actually now that you're making me think about it. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while in the desert, I guess. <laughs> so, um, I'm from the East coast originally. I was born actually in Canada and grew up there for, few, um, and spent some of my time in, in university in that area and ended up in, um, Boston to do some more postgraduate training. Uh, and then from there, I moved all the way to Vegas. Uh, so about six or seven years ago. Uh, so my background is in orthopedic surgery. As you mentioned before, I have a, a fellowship in limb deformity, limb lengthening, as well as in spinal surgeries. And when I moved here, I initially started in a practice and then eventually kind of came out of that practice and started my own practice probably about five years ago or so. And since then, that's been sort of slowly taking off and doing very well. Now, as an orthopedic surgeon, you obviously could have gone pretty much anywhere in the world. Why did you pick Las Vegas? So I got an invitation to come to Las Vegas to kind of um, look at jobs and that kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, wow, Vegas. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll come. It was the middle of February, I think. And so I was like, sure, I'll come to Vegas. Check it out. Why not? <laughs> um, and so when I came here, though, I was pretty surprised. At, you know, a lot of a lot of healthcare and you know, a lot of hospitals and you know, a lot of things to offer. I didn't actually recognize that Vegas was really a full city. You know, being from a part of the world, I really just kind of imagined it as the Las Vegas Strip and basically desert all around it. But when I came, I was pleasantly surprised, and it seemed like a great place to. Um, to be in great weather, obviously. And as I thought more about my practice and what, where I envisioned it, you know, I have a very niche type of uh, subspecialty where oftentimes we get patients from all around neighboring states and that kind of thing. And I thought Vegas would be a great place for um, um, medical tourism. And so I thought, you know, why don't we give Las Vegas a chance? And I moved down here and we started with that and kind of went from there. Fantastic. So I'm going to blame it on the snow initially, but then you fell in love <laughs> when you got here. Fair? Yes. Okay. So let's jump right into the procedure that's getting you all this attention right now. And you had mentioned that you had specialized training in it, and it's called leg lengthening surgery. So can you describe to me what leg lengthening surgery is? 
I'm fellowship trained in limb deformity and limb lengthening surgery and limb lengthening. Uh, what that entails is maybe born with a birth defect or a deformity in the leg where you have to then correct that leg. And that applies now to other things. You can do it for cancer. You can use it, do it for trauma. So if you get into a bad car accident and you lose two or three inches from a car accident, um, your femur or tibia or something like that, then you can actually use this type of technology and this type of surgery to regrow the leg to then thereby equalize your limb lengths and make you makes you more functional. Really, the, the the purpose of limb lengthening it's actually been around for I don't know seventy five years or something like that. So it's been oh, around wow. for yeah. So the concept of it has been around for a long time. Uh, first pioneered by um, a surgeon in Siberia who um, who kind of noticed it when he was trying to heal fractures that if you instead of pushing the bone together, pulled it apart, um, bone would actually fill in the gap. Uh, and then it was just pioneering the rate and velocity of that. Obviously now with that, we've been able to have better advances in technology and surgical techniques that we're able to offer it much more minimally invasive. And hence the birth of, you know, cosmetical lengthening, which I think gets more of the media buzz, I think, because of, you know, just making people taller and the before and after pictures and that kind of thing that kind of gets more of the media attention. Yeah, and and that's definitely drawing a lot of attention for you. So, h- how many people around the country are doing leg lengthening or limb lengthening uh, surgery cosmetically right now, to your knowledge? Right. So, um, so very few. Um, limb lengthening in general is a very rare specialty to begin with, and oftentimes there might be one person in a major city that even does that type of procedure. And then on top of that, to then offer it at a cosmetic level um, is even more rare. So, you know, I can probably think of you know two or two people potentially or two groups uh, out in the U.S. that probably offer cosmetic lengthening at any volume. But is there something specific about this procedure that drew you to it? Uh, yes. I mean, uh, even when I was in uh, medical school, I actually got to work with one of the uh, older surgeons who did um, Elizaroth frames, which are those external frames that were first pioneered in Siberia uh, for pediatric cases. And I was doing rotation. This was you know decades ago. And I remember seeing um, you know a child and us trying to grow this two inches of tibia bone, which is your lower leg bone, uh, in this external frame. And I looked at that, and as someone explained to me what was going on, I thought to myself, well, this is miraculous. Like, how is it possible that we're growing two inches of this child's leg um, and just creating it out of thin air, essentially? And ever since I saw that image, I became obsessed with it. And that was in my second year of medical school. And I thought, there is nothing more miraculous that I've seen in medicine and all the weird and crazy things we know and <laughs> that we learn in, in medical school and, you know, antibiotics and cancer treatments and different types of weird surgeries and that kind of stuff. I, I thought this was the most uh, profound thing I'd, I'd ever seen. And since that point, I became obsessed with limb lengthening. Now, as a more cosmetic option, is there something that you've done to this procedure that makes it uniquely you? Or is there something unique about your version of the procedure for cosmetic purposes? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with the technology for a very long time. I mean, since it first came and was FDA approved back, I think, in 2012, you know, I I worked with the first iteration of the implant. It has gone through a few evolutions. and, And by that, I mean this intramedullary nail that we place into the femur that actually works through a remote control to lengthen the bone. So that's the big advance uh, overall in in um, in the procedure and in limb lengthening. And in working with it for such a long time, I was able to at least cultivate, you know, a very 
minimally invasive way of placing the implant into very small percutaneous incision with very minimal really dissection at all uh, to get the implant in. And I've worked very much with the implant and have probably one of the highest volumes in the world of using the implant uh, overall. Now, when you say an implant, my mind goes racing. I'm thinking about all sorts of science fiction stuff I've read in the past. I'm thinking of the bionic man. I'm thinking of you having a remote control device that just starts extending and extending and extending a leg to unreasonable lengths. Um, Maybe you could describe what this implant is a little bit more for our listeners so they could kind of, without getting too grossed out, visualize what's going on. Sure. So it's actually a very simple device. I mean, it's a telescopic rod. So it's essentially two rods inside of, it, uh, of itself. And as, as and what's it made of? So the current iteration of the implant is made out of titanium. Um, so it's a titanium rod. So not dissimilar to something that you would get if you broke your femur. Or if you've ever had a friend or someone you know that fell down and had some kind of injury, and they said, hey, they put a rod in my leg. And so it's not dissimilar to that in some ways. However, that rod is usually one straight piece of titanium. This rod is a little bit more sophisticated. It's a telescopic rod that actually lengthens on itself. So it's like two rods in one, essentially. And it's fixed to the bone with screws at the one end and the other end. And inside that uh, telescopic rod, there's an actual gearbox and there's a magnet that powers that gearbox. And the way that that magnet gets power is through the remote control that you have in your hand that's outside of your body. Now, who's controlling the remote control? Is that you, uh, I hope? So, uh, no, it's the patient. It's actually really easy for the patient to do. We program it so that they can't do too much or too little. Um, in some way. So we actually program it in, let's say, for a femoral length thing, it might be a millimeter a day. So you can't say, well, you know, I'm not going to listen to the doctor. I'm just going to get all this today. I, I can't wait. And you're just going to push the button 100 times. No, it won't work that way. It, it, it's timed out. It resets itself every midnight or the following day. And so you're only able to do so much in one day, and that's pre-programmed by the physician to the prescription. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that there's parameters because I just envisioned <laughs> this whole, you know, somebody doing the Stretch Armstrong, Mr. Fantastic sure. thing and just seeing how far they can go with it. Now, they, they have to break their legs before then. You're going you're gonna to medically break their legs prior to the implant. Is that what I read in the GQ article or am I completely as a layperson getting it wrong? Uh, no, that's correct. So uh, this morning prior to doing this, this interview, I mean, that's what I was doing this morning on someone um, at the hospital. So we were inserting a femur device in someone's right and left leg. Um, it's done through a tiny little incision. Um, we first fenestrate the bone a little bit with a drill to kind of like a, like a paper towel. And then usually we use what's called an osteotome. Um, with one or two small taps along these fenestrations, it kind of um, finalizes the break and separates the bone completely. Oh, wow. Um, that sounds painful. Is there a lot of pain? And actually, what other possible side effects might occur in this procedure? Um, so I, from changing to the pain part, uh, there's certainly pain uh, that goes along with the procedure. Most patients will require some amount of pain medication in the first two weeks or so. Though after two weeks or so, I would say, you know, a lot of patients can wean off to down to very little medications uh, while they're doing it. So, um, so really depend on the patient. When it comes to, uh, you know, complications and risks, um, you know, just like any procedure, there, there are risks. You're putting in an implant into a patient. There's always risks of things called like an infection because you are putting in a metal implant into someone. 
Luckily, we've been, you know, because it's a minimally invasive type incision, um, the risk of that, I think, is pretty low, but it's probably, you know, somewhere between 0.5 to 1% um, risk of something like that occurring. Um, other things that you worry about are things like any orthopedic procedure, like if you get a knee replacement or, um, you know, hip replacement or any type of orthopedic-based procedure, you're always worried about a complication called the DVT, which is a deep vein thrombosis. Uh, and that's where you get a clot in your lower leg. Um, so, but we do give medications to prevent those from occurring. Um, usually we start those on post-up day one, but that is a risk as well in the procedure. Okay. This is going to be an oddball question, but it, it sounds like uh, the normal risks of surgery are there, but has anyone died from this procedure? Um, I've not, I, I'm not known of anyone to die from this procedure. However, I mean, the risks are there. I mean, you can die from breast augmentation. You can die from a, uh, rhinoplasty from a knee replacement. So, um, I think the risks are there, but uh, I still think they're relatively low. Um, but not zero, even in, you get general anesthetic and the risk of general anesthetic is one in 250,000, right? Or something like that occurring. So, um, sure. it's not zero. But it's a lot of money, right? Um, let me ask you, what is the cost? And I guess the follow-up is, does insurance cover any of this? Um, for pathology, um, um, it, it does cover it. So we get a lot of patients that, um, like I just did a consult with a patient um, was on Saturday, I think, who's from Arizona, who has a discrepancy uh, from a trauma, actually. He had a femur fracture, and he's about an inch and a half shorter from that from that fracture now. So it really bugs him. It bugs his poor back. He has to wear a lift. His knee and hip bothers him when he walks around. Um, so he's hoping to come down to Las Vegas to have that corrected, where we lengthen that inch and a half that he lost from the car accident uh, to regain that. Now, so those things are covered when it comes to pediatric deformities or you know, any type of pathology. Cosmetic, however, is not covered. And that starts at about $70,000 um, for the- Is, it, is that per thing. leg or for both? Uh, that's for both, yeah. Okay. All right. Just checking there. Just doing a little, doing a little Vegas math. The GQ article that I read mentions that a lot of your patients opt to keep this surgery a secret, even from close friends and family. And why do you think that there is this stigma around this particular procedure? So I think in general cosmetic surgery, um, you know, I think people can uh, decide to keep that close to the chest and not necessarily advertise it or tell people. I think particular in this um, is that it's new. I mean, I think it's relatively new, and I think that there is probably with anything new, I think there's more stigma, especially the portrayal of what it is, right? I mean, you're going in doing the surgery, even the way GQ talks about it, you know, the, the description of it. And, and, and I'm not faulting the, the, the writer. The way it was written is the way that, that he saw the procedure. He's not seen something like that before. But, you know, it kind of looks somewhat gruesome. Um, and so I think there's there's that part of it as well where, you know, they may be judged for going to do this elective manure procedure that may be a little bit gruesome just to gain height. Do your patients talk to you about that? Um, or even about like a conversation as to whether a couple of inches of, of height are worth the, the pain, the procedure, and, and of course that, that price tag. And wh what do uh, they say? Sure. I mean, um, and, and I try to be very transparent. I generally have patients even talk to previous patients to make sure that they have a full understanding um, before they even go forward with anything. I will usually have them talk to at least three patients um, before they move forward just to make sure they understand 
we know what the experience is like because I can describe it, you know, like I'm describing it to you and say, well, there's going to be pain with this. It's going to take a lot of compliance from your perspective. Um, it's going to take a lot of work. It's a long procedure. It takes a lot of physical therapy. And I think that's helpful even for myself, to be honest, because if I don't prepare a patient for this procedure, then to be honest, it's going to make it harder for me. <laughs> so if yeah. I, if I, if I've overprepared you and scared you out of your wits and said like, look, this is what it's going to be like. And then you kind of go through it and say, Hey, you know what, Dr. D, this was, wasn't as bad as you thought, you know, you, you made that to be. So then I've done my job when I see these patients at the one year mark or you know, once they're said and done and I get a resounding, you know, I would do this all over again every time. I mean, patients are just so, it's so satisfied with the procedure. I, I always say it's probably one of the most gratifying, if not the most gratifying surgery I do. I imagine someone could get addicted and just come back to you every so often for a couple more inches, a couple more inches if they wanted to. There's a limitation. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, fair, fair, fair enough. You're not you're not creating any eight foot people. Correct. <laughs> okay. Um, so certainly Las Vegas, uh, maybe more so than other places, has this reputation for uh, people, you know, really needing to for purposes of of jobs and casinos or any sort of different thing, uh, sure. augment themselves. Do you, do you think that Las Vegas is uniquely positioned for your limb lengthening surgery as well? Do you think that plays into the whole Las Vegas augmentation paradigm? Yeah, it, it may. I mean, um, you know, we certainly have patients from Nevada and Las Vegas, but I would still, obviously, the majority of my patients are from outside the state um, oh, okay. who come from other places. But it certainly, it makes it an interesting place to come. If you are going to get a procedure, why not? And in Las Vegas, I guess in some ways, right? It's got nice, stable weather climate, uh, weather conditions most of the, most of the year. You know, it's, if you have to bring a friend or bring a family member, it's not too hard to convince someone to join them in Las Vegas for a couple of weeks. So, and I know medical tourism is something that a lot of elected officials have, you know, kind of taken a look at and are trying to encourage. Although I'm sure that they weren't envisioning your limb lengthening surgery, but why not put that on the list as well? Um, sure. Are there any challenges to doing a surgery like this in Las Vegas, though? I mean, it took me a while to kind of get the um, logistics of it together. We may not have as much influx of the medical people. So, you know, from the nursing care, therapists, and we always seem to be short-staffed, right? Because, um, you know, all these people could go work on the strip and make the same amount of money or maybe more <laughs> yeah. than, than working in the hospital, even though obviously working in the hospital is much more gratifying <laughs> and you're really helping people. But, you know, we certainly built, you know, our program kind of around what we had. And, and I think it's still been quite successful, but that still continues to be an ongoing issue, I would say, with even staffing at the hospitals, um, getting enough of our time, that kind of stuff. Got it. Not to mention all the media attention. How are you dealing with that? It's, it's tough. I mean, you know, I still have a busy practice and taking time away to talk to people is, is challenging, but I think it's, I think it's part of what I do be honest, because part of the reason of why there's more, I think, demand in some ways, not even demand, but it's more like awareness. Like I want people like you and other people to like ask me a lot of questions and find out more about it. I think we have to be critical about it. Right? I mean, I think we have to, I have to put it in front of the world and they have to judge it, right? They have to, the society has to look at this and say, hey, here's, what about this? And, you know, I think it needs to go through that evolution. 
right? Just like anything else. I mean, I think breast augmentation at some point did the same thing in the 50s. I'm sure they were thinking it was meant for reconstruction after breast cancer and that kind of stuff. And it's gone through its own evolution. And there may be still some people who think it's odd or weird, but it's certainly much less so than it was 50 years ago. And so I think it has to go through a similar evolution where people ask all the hard questions, people ask for the transparency, people, you know, really look at it with a critical eye and kind of let it go through this evolution before it does get to this point where there's more acceptance. So there's judgment, judgment, judgment. But the more we kind of push it along, I think the more even my patients will feel more comfortable in saying, hey, you know what? I had this done and I'm happy about it and I like the way I am now and and that's it, period. And so, you know, and so I think that it just allows for that to be, to get to that point uh, where I think it'll be more accepted. And I think then patients will talk more about it. Well, all five foot, six inches and three quarters on top of that, uh, was very intrigued by this topic. Maybe not so much to lay down that 70, 80 grand, but um, <laughs> yeah, nonetheless, it grew my mind a little bit. So I appreciate your time, doctor, and good luck with your practice out here in Las Vegas. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Now for some news. So far this year, deadly crashes in Nevada are down compared to 2021, but they're up in Clark County. Indeed, most of the bad traffic stats are trending in the wrong direction locally. Pedestrian, bicyclists, and motorcyclist fatalities too. Officials say they're working on programs to bring those numbers down. And we're not sure what to make of this news, but a new study shows Las Vegas ranks number two among cities that swear the most. Only Columbus, Ohio curses more. Here, we average 32 profanities a day, which is unbelievable, right? And we're more likely than other cities to swear in front of the boss. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Did you learn something new? If so, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Do they have to come back for a, a revision or a reset later in life, or are they done no. for life once they've gotten the process? No, you will. Um, once they're done, I mean, the implant comes out uh, usually at the one year mark. But besides that, the bone consolidates and heals, and your skeleton is forever that length. So even you know, fifty years later, if that patient dies and they decompose, their skeleton and casket will be three to six inches taller, longer. <laughs>